Welcome back to another episode of the Virtus Podcast. This is one that I know a lot of our family are excited for, especially myself. I've been keen to get you on for a while, Claire. Uh, Claire's been with us for how long now? Oh, beginning of the year, pretty much, yeah. Claire is our new resident nutritionist, and as you can tell by the accent, she is not from Australia. <laughs> no. Um, before we get stuck into it, Claire, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got over to Australia, and a little bit about your early life? Yeah, it's funny you should say that, actually, because at the moment all my kids are saying, your accent's all over the place. <laughs> some people think it's Aussie, some English, but... You just decide on the day, don't you? Yeah, it just changes. Um, but, yeah, born in England, raised in England, um, and then London most of the time, kind of in the middle of England for my education, then moved to London for work, then decided to escape the rat race, raise the children somewhere else, and chose Australia. Yeah, and... Um, that was about... 15 years ago. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. How have it, you found the transition? Yeah, amazing. We we did actually go back. We were here for a good eight years and then we went back, um, tried to make it work in England, but after three years we just missed it so much and the kids missed it, so we're like, we came back. So I'm a ping-pong-pom. <laughs> Claire, you said you had kids. Tell the audience just how many children you have. Well, we have seven. So oh three are my own. I've got three boys and my partner has four. So there's seven in the mix. How's yeah. life in a house with seven uh, children? Um, it's awesome, actually. People look at me when I tell them, they're like, oh, my God. And some pe- one person even said to me, oh, that's ghastly. And I was like, that's so rude. It's a bit over the top. Yeah. I'm like, it's like. It's such a blessing, really. Yep. Um, we're very lucky that they all get along really well. There's some beautiful um, friendships forming amongst them. Yeah, sometimes it's noisy and it can be really busy. Um, but it's fun. Like, dinner times are the best. Actually, having yep. nine around the dinner table is just great fun. We always practice cool, like, gratitudes like, at dinner. and yeah. It's just fun. And like yeah. someone from myself coming like from a small family, like the only time we'd have nine around the dinner table was at Christmas and even then it'd only be every few Christmases. So yeah. every day would just be a party. Yeah. Would have kept you entertained during lockdown and COVID and Yeah. Um, that's when it was a little bit more challenging. <laughs> like trying to work from home yep. when you've got kids that need to be, because some of them are a bit younger, so they need a bit of entertaining. So that, that was a challenge. Yeah. But it's just a lot of fun. Like if everyone is around the dinner table, it always ends up in some kind of <laughs> ruckus or game. Like, we've been, had huge hide-and-seeks. And yep. even with the 20-year-olds, they're all down for it. It's brilliant. I love me. I'm going hide-and-seek. How old is the youngest? Seven. Okay, so you got a really broad um, yeah. spectrum there. Seven to 20. Um, you are our resident nutritionist. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in the industry, um, your experiences along the way, and perhaps some um, people that have shaped your belief systems and whatnot. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I went to university and studied biology, so I've always had a real keen interest in the human body. And then I started um, becoming more interested in sport myself Um Believe it or not, played rugby at university, yeah. little old me. Didn't know that. <laughs> um, not very well, not for very long. But anyway, it kind of sparked my interest into um, being an athlete that um, wants to be strong and powerful as well. It's just a bit. Yeah. Um, so then the two just kind of kept marrying up for me, you know, how to eat well, to perform well and feel better. Um, 
and then that interest, that deeper interest into the science of the, the human body. Um, <clears throat> so once I came to Australia, really, I started um, doing more PT work, personal training, yep. getting really into that. And um, a little bit of nutrition on the side. I kind of wasn't qualified yet, but I was just so... Right. It was an area of interest. Yeah, yeah. and I kind of helped a few friends out along the way and stuff. And always experimenting on myself. I was like my own guinea pig a lot of the time. And um, then I stumbled across CrossFit and it just ticked all the boxes for me. You know, strong, powerful, fast, all those things. Loads of new skills to learn all the time. And then that just pushed my interest in nutrition even further. So I started coaching CrossFit, doing even more um, research into nutrition and eventually decided to um, take the plunge and and study nutrition. And and was that fueled by a desire to learn how to feel best to perform for CrossFit uh, it was initially, yeah, because yep. when I started CrossFit, it was kind of when it just burst onto the scene. And there was a huge interest in like the paleo diet. Yeah. Um, so I just took a deep dive into that and it just, yeah, it just stayed with me and I just kept wanting to learn more and more. So I tried just about everything, every diet that's out there. I've tried it because I'm just so interested to see if it worked. Yeah. And, yeah, that's one of my big training philosophies too, and I guess the training and nutrition they are a little bit intrinsically linked like I've tried just about every single training fad under the sun just to see how it works like I yeah. think being your own guinea pig in your own science experiment is the best way to do things mm. yeah, um, I agree. so so you said you started with biology you started studying biology what did you initially want to be before you got into nutrition um I always had these like fantasies that I do medicine that was always the the goal yep. and the kind of not that I have a, any regrets in life but maybe if I'd um pulled my socks up at school <laughs> <laughs> and didn't have as much fun as a kind of yep. adolescent maybe I would have gone down that route my brother did um but yeah I just I just didn't behave myself in school didn't get the grades so and I loved biology and I, I got in to study it so yeah, that's a fantastic segue into my next question in what was life like growing up in the UK as Claire Power? <laughs> um, cold and grey. Yeah. I don't know if you've been to the UK, but it feels like the sky sits here. Um, but um, there are some parts of England that are beautiful, like where my parents lived um, up in North Yorkshire, so right up near Scotland. You know, it's it's beautiful. It really is. Um, I had three older brothers, they gave me, <laughs> you know. So you were the youngest of four. Yeah. Oh boy. The only girl and the youngest. Oh boy. So I got, yeah, I copped quite a bit off my brothers. But surely would have had three older brothers there to protect you too. They did protect Good. me at the same time, but a lot of the time they wanted to get rid of me. And in fact, one of my brothers, he was doing this like cadet army training thing at school, and he dressed me up in all of his camouflage gear and put it on my face, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. He was like, go into the garden because you'll be fully camouflaged and we won't be able to see you. I can you. see where this is going. <laughs> so I was there hiding away for ages thinking, this is so cool, they actually can't see me. And they, they of course they could, they just wanted to get me out of the house. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How old were you when that happened, did you say? About 16. No, I was (laughs) about six. (laughs) Oh, jeepers. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. Um, From there, you came over to Australia. Um, How did you find us here at Virtus? Because that's a question I don't know the answer to either. Oh, well, um, 
I moved down to the peninsula um, about five or six years ago and um, pursued CrossFit still, um, but I was travelling back to Cheltenham to do that, which just wasn't sustainable, especially when COVID hit and all the rest of it. So um, I needed to find um, the next best thing and I knew that I actually needed a break from doing CrossFit anyway. So um, I'd also... Because I'd coached and had quite a, you know, a deep journey into lots of different versions of training, I was really, really fussy about where, where I wanted to go. Yeah. <clears throat> so I tried loads of things. I had a really, because I knew I was having that break from CrossFit, I thought I'm going to have an open mind and try lots of things, I even try pole dancing. Like I was just going to put myself out there and yep. see what's available. But um, I just loved the culture when I dropped into Virtus and I loved the Way. I loved the programming for a start because I'd had enough of smashing my body. I just wanted to stay strong, get stronger for longevity. That was like my only real goal at that time. And it yeah. just ticks the boxes. Yeah. And that's a common theme I see. Like when it gets to that point, a lot of people just want to be able to do, th- do the things they love doing pain-free and for as long as physically possible. Yeah. And so they've just got to pick a method of training that's going to help facilitate the things that yeah. they want to do. Yeah. And have fun along the way. If you're not enjoying it, you're yeah. not going to... A great community of people that makes it easy to come into work or come into train and just come and hang out. Yeah. Um, I remember, yeah, it was earlier this year, I believe, you came and did a free seminar for the Virtus family. And I always get nervous with that sort of stuff. I don't know why. I'm just a bit funny with nutrition. I think it is because it is similar to training and strength and conditioning. It is such a jungle out there on social media. So I'm, I'm always just a bit iffy. But I remember you came and, like, blew me away. And I was really, really wrapped with your seminar you did for the fam. Um, thought it was phenomenal, really evidence-based and just no bullshit. Mm. Um, you said you've dipped your toe into just about every single fad diet under the sun. Do you want to give us a really, really condensed overview of some of your learnings with your own nutrition along the journey? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the thing, one of the things that can annoy me the most is people eliminating entire food groups in the diet for <laughs> no reason. If you have, um, sure, if you've got an allergy to a food or, or an intolerance, then yes, we need to eliminate totally. it. Um, but other than that, why would you deprive your body of so many available nutrients? Yeah. Um, usually just in an effort to lose weight. Um, I'll, we'll probably talk about why you would lose weight later yep, on if, absolutely. You do, if you do do that. But um, yeah, complete elimination of food groups. Um, and I think looking for shortcuts as well you know there's like you say social media is flooded with all these fad diets and protocols you know especially when it comes to hormonal stuff there's so many supplements you know take this pill and you'll lose your your belly fat in nine days that's it it draws parallels to the training journey everyone's looking for a shortcut everyone's looking for the magic bullet and it simply just doesn't exist no that's yeah so six week challenges things like that to lose weight they um, can annoy me as well because um, nutrition's a long-term thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, any other learnings throughout that um, journey of dipping your toe in the water? Um, yeah, I've definitely learnt the importance of nutrient density. Yep. But on the other hand, on the flip side, not to demonise food either. Like, I mm. don't think there's any there's such a thing as bad food. There's just food that provides more nutrition than other food. Yeah. That's, you know, totally. keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a big rabbit hole and trap I fell into with myself 
last year I got so obsessed with nutrient density and perhaps avoiding foods that may or may not have been inflammatory and bad for my system. And it was the stress of actually trying so hard to eat everything organic, grass-fed organic meat and everything just so nutrient-dense that it actually probably wreaked more havoc on my health than just chilling out and sort of eating yeah. whatever worked for me. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting to have a go at that stuff. I did a similar thing and went a real deep dive. I cut out heaps of stuff. My I was literally eating like duck eggs and trying to source all these duck r- eggs yeah just to get that broader range of nutrients yep. um and yeah trying to source all the you know salmon that was wild caught and it was really expensive and just not sustainable yeah and were all seven children in the house following along no <laughs> <laughs> that was life before seven kids oh, yeah. yeah that's it because it it is quite a hit on the wallet and I think what I didn't realise is you don't have to fork out for the the top shelf grass fed organic biodynamic meat or salmon like no. you know, near enough is good enough and it's not a long term thing. Like one day hopefully you have the resources in which you can buy the top notch, mm. but like mm. near enough in the short term is good enough. Yeah, there's there's some things um, that I do choose to spend a bit more money on, and that would yep. be the, I, the stuff that matters to me. So that's like the fruit and veg. Yeah, I wouldn't mind spending more. Well, I do spend more money on that because I eat it. The kids all eat it, so I want to make sure it's as fresh as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lasts longer too, so you actually um, it probably does work out the same, or if not cheaper, if that that fruit and veg isn't being thrown out. After a couple of days. Yeah, and, and from an ethical standpoint for mine, things like um, open-range eggs and wild-caught fish as opposed to farmed or caged yeah. is a big one for me that I'm happy to spend a couple of extra dollars on. Yeah. Hey, um, just circling back to your kids, how did you find life, uh, I guess, preparing and cooking and financially affording food and meals for seven children in the house? Yeah, I actually did a, a story about it last week because a few people were asking me how do I do it. So um, I have to plan the dinners, um, otherwise it end, I can end up doubling the food bill if we're just doing it on the fly. Um, so I plan all of the dinners and I always have in the back of my mind that that will do lunches for X, Y and Z's, no, yeah, leftovers for X, Y and Z's lunches the next day. Um, <clears throat> and then it is a bit of an a round trip because I'll go to the farm to get my fruit and veggies and I might go somewhere else for meat and fish and then the supermarket just for kind of staples um so it's anything between three and five hundred dollars a week to yep. feed all of us oh boy uh, yeah <laughs> that includes breakfast lunches yep you know all the snacky stuff because there are kids I'm not going to say there's going to be no chips in the house or no Tim Tams of, of course there is you know totally um, I can't, although I try and home bake, I can't do, I can't keep up with them. So, <laughs> and there's teenagers, they, you know, they come down at midnight and it's all gone. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I plan it and I do try and keep it economical in terms of cuts of meat, like corned beef and so on. And my, my partner's Irish, so he's great with potatoes. <laughs> there's lots of mashed potatoes going down. So yeah, we do try and keep the cost down where we can, but I also... I try and put out good dinners because that's the only meal really I have control over. Yeah. Do you have any 
tips and tricks for the audience for like some really cheap, and this is one of the questions here from uh, Bailey Schmidt actually, some really cheap and quick and easy substitutes or hacks in regards to nutrition? Um, and I'll th- put you right on the spot here, so take your time if you need to think about it. Uh, well, bolt, things like lentils are really good. They're, g- they're cheap. I mean, get them anywhere, and they're great for bulking out dishes. Yep. Um, like if you were doing a bolognese or something, you can just add in a can of lentils. And define bulking out dishes just for more satiety, just to make you fuller? Well, yeah, the lentils are going to make you fuller because they're yep. so high in protein and fibre, but um, also it's going to make the meal go further. So, you know, yep. if you make a spag bowl, put some lentils in, you're probably going to get two meals. And for seven extra. children, that's yeah. huge. yeah. So that that's a good way to do it. Um, just uh, just thinking about how to bulk it out. And what uh, what else did he say? Uh, his words were just some quick and easy hacks to be healthier, like substitu- substituting something out for something else. Yeah. Um, fruit and veg. Getting more fruit and veg in. Um, Good hack is if you make smoothies, which are great for busy people. Yeah. Um, and it's really good if the fruit's just going a little bit too ripe, stick it in a smoothie rather than wasting it. So I get Ziploc bags and I put that fruit that's just about to go um, in a Ziploc um, and then in the freezer. So when yep. a kid wants a smoothie or anyone wants a smoothie, you can chuck it in straight from the freezer with your milk, protein powder. That's something I'm really guilty of. As soon as my fresh fruit's <laughs> going off, it's gone. <laughs> Freeze it. So that needs to go in a Ziploc bag in the freezer and yeah. then blended. Yep. Um, you've tried just about every diet under the sun. What are your thoughts on optimal nutrition? One, is it a thing? And two, yeah, like if so, what is it and does it exist? Or is it just going to be differ from person to person? Yeah, it it's going to differ from person to person. But um, there's no such thing as a perfect diet or perfect optimal nutrition because yeah. if we chase perfection we're going to fail on the, on that front doesn't exist it doesn't exist no um so we're just aiming for consistent consistency really a good yep. diet most of the time um so it is going to change from person to person because some people are just too busy to be able to execute certain things like some people are too busy to cook from scratch every day yeah um, and some people, you know, are high-performing athletes, so their need is going to be completely different to the next person. Now, that person, um, high-performance athlete, you know, we may be able to talk then about sports um, supplements like creatine and so on. So their their diet's going to look very different to someone who is just trying to lose weight and um, knows absolutely nothing about nutrition or how to eat well, how to eat right for them. And that's, yeah, that's one thing I found, like, I'm, I guess, lucky enough that I can work from home when I'm not here. And when I'm here, I'm usually you know, here for a little split shift in the morning or afternoon. I have the freedom to cook every meal you know, yeah. every day if I wanted to. Yeah. But I've got to realize and tell myself that not everybody has that luxury. So again, mm-hmm. the perfect nutrition for me is not going to be perfect for someone else that doesn't have no. the luxury of going home and cooking all their meals. Yeah, that's right. And I guess the perfect nutrition of some of the people that I follow on Instagram, again, is different to mine because I've... I really, last year when I had lockdown and all the time in the world, couldn't go out, couldn't do anything. I really deep dived on my nutrition for about four months, like everything organic, filtered water, yeah, like no inflammatory junk, nothing. And my health was, and skin and everything was probably in a worse condition just due to the stress, stress of, of stressing over it than it is now. And I'm 
pretty much eating almost whatever I want. Like yeah. still eating really nutrient dense, high quality foods, but enjoying myself. Like I'm a real embodiment of the eighty twenty rule. Yeah, yeah, I love that too. Yeah, and someone comes to me and they are literally living on ready meals. You know, for them, optimum nutrition for the next couple of months m- might look like, well, you're going to drink two litres of water now and you're going to have two pieces of fruit. Yeah. For them, that's, you know, about all they can manage initially. So that's Absolutely. their optimum diet for now. Yeah, you're not going to flip that on its head and say, <laughs> hey, I need you eating everything organic <laughs> right now. No. It's, um, yeah, it's unsustainable. It's like the person that's never trained before or hasn't trained for 20 years, you're not going to get them in doing five sessions a week. No. Like it's incredibly unrealistic. Yeah. Hey, we're about 20 minutes in. I'm going to start to throw to a few random questions that we got from the Virtus family throughout the week. You can feel free to spend as little or as much time on each one as yep. you want. I'll, we, we sort of bounce off one another and we can go down some rabbit holes. So we'll try and keep each other on track. First one here... I'll keep my mouth shut because I've got some pretty strong opinions on it, so I'm <laughs> not going to say anything and I'll just let you do the talking. This is your podcast. How to get enough iron on a plant-based diet and increase that bioavailability, which is a fa- fancy word for absorption pretty much. Yep. <clears throat> so it is going to be harder to get a, as much iron in as on a plant-based diet. It's not impossible. Um, but kind of non-heme, so non-animal um, sources of iron, so just to interrupt, that non-heme, that means non-animal. Yeah, yep, okay. yeah. So that's what you might see it described as on, yep. on the internet or whatever. Um, so good sources are legumes, beans, um, leafy green vegetables. So, But those non-heme sources are not as easily absorbed. The iron from them isn't as easily absorbed okay. as animal sources. So you're going to have to play really close attention to that if you're not eating um, animal-based yeah. sources of iron. And so I, I'm a bit ignorant here. Is that literally a matter of just eating more quantity or are there some things you can do to help improve that absorption? Yeah, so vitamin C really helps the absorption of, of okay. iron. So yep. you often hear if you are prescribed an iron supplement, drink it with some orange juice. Yeah. the absorption. Okay. Yeah. So you, yeah, so I've learned something. So you could you <laughs> could eat some legumes and beans and then hypothetically have a vitamin C chewable tablet and that would help increase that um, absorption? Yeah, it could do. I'd rather it be an orange or... Yeah, but the good something thing, from whole food. Yeah, yeah. The good thing is those leafy greens that are rich in iron are also rich in vitamin C anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah. the absorption shouldn't be too much of a problem. We just need to think about volume to, to hit that quota in the first place. Yeah. How was your experience on the vegan diet? That was one thing I didn't do. The one thing you didn't <laughs> yeah. do? Yeah, I was actually really, really keen to hear that. Um, no, I didn't do it. Um, one of the kids is a vegetarian. Yep. Um, we manage that fine. It's good. It encourages everyone else to eat more vegetables because I have to think about what I'm serving her. Um, there are some things to watch out for and, um, because Ruby's a, um, teenage girl as well. I'm kind of conscious that her, we really need to pay attention to her iron um, it's a huge rapid growth spurt age anyway. And then yeah. when girls start menstruating, we can have an added pressure on the body for that iron. Also the B12 as well, which has um, similar benefits to iron. Um, though we, it can be easy to become deficient in those two things. So I always say to people, you know, if you are worried about it, if you're not sure you're getting enough iron, if there's any symptoms of low iron, like um, dizziness, pallor, breathlessness, and lethargy, 
then um, go and get your iron levels tested because it's no fun if you're deficient in iron and you have end up anemic. Um, Needing an infusion. You, yeah. yeah, I mean, some people, yeah, have to have regular infusions and that that's not much fun. Um, so we need to stay on top of that. Um, you briefly touched on menstruation. Uh, any just general nutrition advice for PCOS? Yeah, it's hard to... Just like condensed PCOS. You could spend an hour on this. Yeah. Um, So it's extremely common. I think it's the most common um, endocrine issue we see in women. Um, And I think the big association with PCOS and weight is that a lot of women with PCOS are overweight. But it's not because the PCOS is, you know... like gone to them make, because make they're overweight. Yeah, it's PCOS doesn't discriminate, so it, anybody can have it. But what it does do is um, interfere with your insulin. And not in all cases, but a lot of the cases, which makes managing weight harder Yep. for those women. So if you are insulin resistant, then that needs um, guidance with your diet. Obviously, your calorie requirements are going to be altered if you're insulin resistant. Um, <clears throat> do you, do you just quickly for the audience, just want to explain ins- insulin resistance. Yeah, so it just bec- it just means that you are less sensitive, so your insulin just isn't working as properly. Yeah, you're less sensitive. So if you're having carbohydrates in your diet, your insulin is just not as sensitive to your your nice insulin response. Yeah, yeah. So it's just not do- going to be doing its job as effectively, which is. You know, transporting the energy into... And is that going to mean just elevated blood sugars? Yeah, it can yep. do, and and storage of fat. So yep. insulin is, you know, going to transport the energy, glucose from your blood and distribute it to your liver and your cells and your fat. Yep. Um, so if it's not doing that properly, we are going to get um, problems with yeah. weight. Okay. Um, and what... Um, I guess it's hard to condense, but any just general advice or things that you've implemented with some of your clients with PCOS... Yeah, um, one thing that has been shown to be really quite effective in recent studies is um, reducing overall calorie intake just for two days of the week. Okay. Very low calorie for two days and then kind of um, normal calories for the rest of the week, not a deficit or a surplus, just... Just maintenance. Just maintenance. Yep. Um, That's been shown to be quite effective. Um, Reducing carbohydrate. Um, has its place it can be quite effective as well although I like to go uh, be a little bit I like to refine that a bit further with reducing carbs I'm a bit fearful of that yeah especially for women who are training and and that just goes back to what you said before you don't like eliminating whole food groups no yeah no so but weight loss um for PCOS is one of the best things you can do to alleviate your symptoms it can't cure PCOS we can't cure it but it can have a huge impact on the symptoms yeah. And is that an instance where you do prescribe training? Yeah, I yep. would do. Yeah, I prescribe training in many forms to most of my clients, whether that be walking, starting with once a week, if that's all, you know, if we're starting from nothing, um, right through to helping, you know, elite athletes. Yeah. So. And I guess, <clears> yeah, that's the importance of us here at Virtus being a gym that is linked with a nutritionist such as yourself, because it is all holistically integrated Mm. like similar to you like we have to prescribe nutrition we have to refer people up to you like because yeah both you and I like we are coaches Mm. like your job isn't just solely nutrition it isn't just solely training like it is all intrinsically linked yes yeah 
Bear with me. I've lost my place on this note page. There was an interesting one on um, anti-nutrients. There was. Up. Yeah. Um, Because there is a lot of content out on social media um, from the from the meat-based community that vegetables do contain a lot of anti-nutrients. Do you want to sort of dive into, one, what anti-nutrients are? Are they something to be fearful of? And if so, how can we mitigate their harm? So anti-nutrients, there's, there's some compounds in vegetables <clears throat> that could um, interfere with the absorption of other compounds. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, broccoli and kale, those vegetables, um, <clears throat> contain a compound that could interfere with the absorption of iodine, which could then in turn affect your thyroid function. Yep. And I think if we're going to start sweating stuff on this scale, you're really going to run into problems. We're going to end yeah. up where you and I were, like yeah. living on duck eggs and trying to source, like, it gets too much and I okay if you have problems with your thyroid then yeah you could look at that there are so many ways that you can if you're worried about anti-nutrients is uh, reduce them like cooking steaming fermenting yeah. you know basically just how we cook vegetables anyway um, vegetables bring such an abundance of nutrition I would be really disappointed if people started turning away vegetables because they're worried about anti-nutrients just for the for the small small tiny it's minute yeah yeah please don't yeah. sweat that small <laughs> stuff please and that's right <laughs> like when traditionally prepared by cooking you are mitigating yeah pretty much 100 percent of the risk yeah and again that's that's a trap i fell into last year too mm. um on the sort of vegan v carnivore um would a carnivore diet sort of increase a risk of sort of gout or how can you get more nutrients in on a meat-based diet? Um, you mean purely meat like this carnivore? So Yeah, so it was one, I don't have it on my sheet here, but one a friend asked me like, yeah, how do you get more nutrients in on a meat-based diet or can that diet increase your risk of nutrient deficiencies? Absolutely it could. Yeah, if you're if you're not eat if that meat you're eating too much animal protein and you're pushing out any room for fruit and veg and grains, um, of course you're going to be missing out on loads of nutrition. <clears throat> so I don't like the idea at all, really. Um, yeah, it could leave you deficient in um, vitamins and minerals for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, you said we touched on nutrient density before. Mm. Um, there is, this isn't really a question here. It just says nutrient density versus calorie counting. <laughs> <laughs> um, ha, ha, I guess I'll, I'll add on to this question. How do we find that good balance? Um, I, well, for a lot of people that come to me are, are kind of, well, we're working from like the foundation, the base. Um, we look at um, nutrition, nutrient density before we even talk about calorie counting. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think there's a misconception out there is if you go and see nutritionists, they're going to either tell you how many calories to eat or they're going to send you away with a diet plan. This is what you're going to eat Monday to Friday. Um, that's not the way I work anyway. I want to look at how nutrient dense is your diet. Are you getting everything that you need? Um, yeah, I love that. We'll start there first and then we'll look at 
everything else around that that involves your lifestyle too um and then once we start improving that general foundation building that good base and by the way that includes stress and sleep and water um and we need to refine it maybe because that person does want to lose some weight and uh, so we need to implement a deficit um or that person wants to gain weight or they want to make weight for competition then yet then it becomes appropriate to counting calories um and then that can be done in a variety of ways as well. You know, you, we can count our calories ourselves using my fitness pal or so on, or um, nutritionists. Like, I might do that behind the scenes, give them some food lists, and I know that if they eat off that list, they're going to fall into the profile I've set them. I love that because, <laughs> like, one of my big values is health, and I believe – well, not I believe. Like, I know health underpins every single physical quality and training adaptation that you could want. Like, you can't get stronger, you can't perform, you can't lose weight on a base of really, really shitty health. Like, it underpins everything. And I think one of my biggest gripes with the industry is we have these social media pages and they, they're comparing, like, Macca's burgers. They're saying, you know, if you want to be healthier, opt for this Macca's burger instead of this yeah. one because it's got 50 less calories. And I think they're just missing the boat completely yeah. when, you know, you can't lose weight or gain muscle, perform well, if you aren't getting an abundance of micronutrients into have healthy cells and support every chemical reaction that's got to take place in your body. Yeah, that's right. And that was one thing that my coach hammer, hammered home with me before he put me on a caloric surplus. Mm. He wanted to make sure my health was in tip-top condition to deal with the extra, I guess, inflammatory and digestive load of more food in the system. Mm. And again, this is another one. Eating for aesthetics versus eating for health. How do we... I love draw this that. one. That's a good one. How do we draw that um, <clears throat> balance? So a lot of my clients um, will come to me because they want to change the way they look. And straight away for me, that will then instigate further investigation into their mental health. Now, obviously, if they require any counselling, if I feel they do, that's out of my scope and I'll refer yeah, them you on. Refer. But... Um, if somebody's unhappy with their body um, image, um, where is that coming from? You know, are they, and is that causing them to have a poor relationship with food? Are they eating their emotions? Are they restricting food? Are they counting calories? Are they exercising just to lose weight? You know, um, <clears throat> I really like to get um, into the nitty gritty of that with people. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what plan I put them on we're not going to have a great success yeah. rate if they have a poor relationship with food. And this is just about aesthetics. So I really encourage people to um, <clears throat> improve their relationship with food and have a deep dive and look inside um, when it comes to their body image and why they might not be feeling so great about themselves. And then try and direct the nutrition towards this is going to make you you know, good nutrition is going to give you good energy. Then you're going to feel more like doing some exercise. You're going to have better energy to do better in your sport, at school, in your relationships, general life. And good food is going to, you know, it's going to help you with your immune system. You're not going to get sick as often. Your skin's going to feel yeah. better. You know, it, it's about protecting your long-term health as well, short-term health and long-term health. Um, so I kind of direct them towards why we're going to have good nutrition yeah and that's not necessarily what's going to get you a six-pack but is a six-pack going to make you happy 
Yeah. Really? Yeah, totally. You no, know, is anyone <laughs> going to love you more or less if you got a six pack? No. And and that's that's great because we have all new members fill out a holistic wellness scale, which is pretty much ten components of their life, which I'm pretty sure you would have filled in yeah, when you first joined yeah. up. You know, and that's your hydration, sleep quantity, sleep quantity, uh, sleep quantity, sleep quality, stress levels, all these different aspects of your life. Which, when you look at them, you don't think, "Oh, that's going to help me reach my goals." But as you said, if your nutrition's on point, your immunity's going to be on point. If you've got good immune health, you're not going to get sick. If you're not going to get sick, then you can consistently train multiple days a week. Yeah. If you're training well, you're probably sleeping well. If you're sleeping yeah. well, then you're recovering. So it's all. It's just all intrinsically linked. Um, you we did dabble on immunity there. What are some immune health hacks that you might have for the family? Me and you chatted about this before, because yeah. as the audience might be able to hear, I'm sounding a little bit nasally. I'm a little bit under the weather. You gave some great ones to me off the camera before. Do you just want to delve briefly into your best immune health supplements and supports? Yeah, well, I guess we've just I've seen heaps of the COVID and flu and. Um, everyone's immune system seems a bit out of whack right now, which is we should talk about why after this. Ooh, yeah. um, so for those kind of those illnesses that I'm seeing at the moment, I'm getting people to drink lots of water and take lots of rest. Do not rush back to the gym until you're feeling a hundred percent, and then when you do, start back easy. That's it. Cause, yeah, training's a stressor. Exactly. We want to reduce the stress. Um, and then supplements, vitamin C, but we need a really good vitamin C, like a powder is actually easily absorbed. Um, so good brands like Bioceuticals. Yeah. Um, <coughs> it's worth spending the money when it comes to supplements. Um, so good vitamin C powder, zinc is great, and zinc, zinc picolante is um, the most easily absorbed as well. It might probably have to go through the internet. So you recommend Bioceuticals again for that? <coughs> um, no, so I think Thorn. Online, yep. do that. That's really funny. My, my coach says Thorn and Bioceuticals are two of <laughs> the best supplement brands. Yeah, yeah, it's always worth spending the money on it. Um, so, yeah, zinc, vitamin C, um, olive leaf extract as well is a good one. Yep. Um, I use this Metagenic blend of mushrooms. I've always used it every time I've been run down. So, um, I, yeah, I recommend people use that as well. Yeah, cool. And then in regards to whole foods, what are some of the, just the most nutrient-dense foods you want out it, there? Like soups, uh, everyone says, have soup when you're sick, but actually it's one of the best things you can do because you can chuck so many veggies in there and you can chuck some protein in there. You can add bone broth, some herbs and spices. You can just pack it full of nutrients. You can blend it or you can have a chunky, you know, depending on what your taste buds and, are doing. And so you're not talking like the packs of powdered soup that you can buy you're talking no. like an actual homemade. proper homemade. homemade but you know if you've got a slow cook or just a big iron pot just chuck it all in put it in the oven forget about yeah. it it's nutrients not that nutrients. hard yep. yeah i love that um intermittent fasting is this a was that a diet that you tested when you're on your little science experiments of yourself um i have tested it and i last about Three days. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I have a lot of my best friends are right into it and it works for them and yeah. and I guess that's that's the kicker. If it works for you, then brilliant. Yeah. Uh, do you want to dive into what it is? Is it worth doing and yeah. why it may work for some people and why it may not work for others? So intermittent fasting is just you have an eating window. So you're, you allow yourself to eat between the hours of, say, midday and 6 p.m. 
the rest of the time you don't um you can drink water but that's it pretty much yeah um so some well most of the time it's been used for weight loss i think that's how it got fashionable yeah people losing weight on it people lose weight on it because it just reduces the amount of time with which you can eat Okay, so if you're suddenly skipping a meal, which you're probably going to be doing if you're doing intermittent fasting like breakfast or dinner, you've skipped potentially two to 600 calories. So, yeah, yeah you're going to lose weight. Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no magic beyond that in terms of the weight loss. Um, some people think it might have something to do with eating in, in accordance to your circadian rhythm. Um I don't think there's enough science backing that one. Yeah. Um, some people feel better eating alongside their circadian rhythm. If it makes you feel better, then cool, go for it. Um, I don't, there's a few things I don't like about it, and that's I don't necessarily like training fasted. Join the club. <laughs> some people thrive off it. I'm not yeah, one of those people. You know, some people actually hate having food in their belly when they train. Yeah. And if it makes them feel yuck and they don't enjoy training, then don't eat then that's okay but maybe that's the time you could look at some intra-workout carbohydrates or some bcaa's just to mitigate any stress you could be experiencing by training fasted um but i like food to train i think people train better on food absolutely um and i like food after training (laughs) i like food before bed because it helps you sleep better so food is fuel i I just love food yeah hey back on that bcaa like because a lot of influencers on social media love to shit on BCAAs um, and I don't think they're 100% necessary at all but I don't think there's any reason to shit on them. Do you want to quickly delve into what they are and how they can be of benefit? Yeah, so they're branch chain amino acids. There's 21 amino acids and we need all of them to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Yep. Leucine being the, the biggest trigger for muscle growth. Okay. Um. So to hit all of those 21 amino acids, we need to have a really nice varied amount of protein in our diet. We need If we're just having chicken and eggs, we're not going to hit all 21. We need to have you know, fish and red meat and pulses and so on. So if people aren't having a varied amount of protein in their diet, BCAAs can help kind of bring you up to hitting that profile of 21 amino acids. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so I think they have a place then. Yep. Yeah. And I also have been reading a lot lately about the benefits of leucine um, for women during their period or in the run-up to the period. It can really help mitigate those feelings of fatigue and brain frog. Okay. So um, I'm asking my females who suffer with PMS to have BCAAs or just leucine in the week before the period if they're feeling a bit fatigued and perhaps don't really want to go to the gym you know any good brands of leucine or bcaa that you'd recommend for the family oh i just think w- with any supplement pick the brand that's not got an ingredients list as long as you yeah. are you know if the stuff on then you can't pronounce let alone know what it is avoid it yeah yep. that's great advice on the supplement chat creatine is one of my absolute favorite supplements incredibly well researched incredibly beneficial is a loading phase necessary? Asks Matthew Bullis. Um, yeah, yeah, it can. Not necessary. You can do it if you want to. It, there are some benefits around loading for know, five days. If yep. you went had twenty grams for the five days, um, if muscle gain is really what you're after here with the creatine, then loading for five days um, 
it's fine it can be advantageous um and then after that it doesn't matter whether you train or not creatine happens every day five milligrams every day yep. yeah that's your maintenance dose yeah okay. creatine's great good supplement um and just clarifying for the people listening that may not know the loading phase that's just simply a week of having a higher dose before you get into your normal yeah. dose of five grams yeah. a day just yeah. brings you up to a nice level and then you just go on to maintenance to keep it there yeah, yeah. Gives is, it a kickstart. Is there need to increase dose once you're, you know, a few months into supplementing with creatine and maybe you've plateaued with strength or anything? No, just yep. stay on that same dose. Sweet. Yeah. Very good. Hey, a day in the life of Claire now, so not necessarily what you get up to, but the food you fuel yourself with, and that's going to change depending on the day and whether it's a weekend or whether it's your birthday, which yep. it was the other day. Yeah. Happy birthday for Monday. <laughs> But a general day in the life of Claire, what do you fuel yourself with? What are some of your favourite foods to get an abundance of nutrients from? What perhaps do you not like? Um, brekkie, that changes if I'm if I'm going to work out. Then I opt for fast carbs. Yep. Which, such as? Such as, you know, I'll go white bread, um, ripe banana, um, quick oats. These are carbohydrates that don't have as much fibre in them, so they're you're going to get the energy from them a lot quicker. Yeah. And, yeah, that pre-workout breakfast, I would avoid protein and fat then as well. Maybe a little bit of protein, but I just want energy fast. So if I'm not training, then I'll go more heavier on proteins and fat. So I love my eggs and I love smashed avo on Beautiful. toast and with goat's cheese and chilli. I'm a chilli fiend. Love that. <laughs> um so brekkie, yeah, depends on the training. Um, lunch, luckily I live around the corner so I can nick home for lunch most days and um, I usually have leftovers, what we've had for dinner. Snacks, I always refuel after training as well. With, I really try and get in protein, good serve of protein, 20 grams, and some more fast carbs within an hour of training. Yeah. In regards mm. to that protein, is there a quantifiable number that is good for everyone or again is that going to depend from person to person like what should the audience try and hit in regards to their protein goal yeah well i think looking at a minimum of 20 grams post your workout but you know if if you're (laughs) sorry i thought you were gonna say 20 grams a day and i nearly fell over (laughs) 20 grams post workout post workout so if you're a big dude you know and you've got massive protein requirements and we need to split that across five meals a day it might be 40 grams for you yeah um, but I aim for 20 grams as kind of baseline after a workout. Yeah, nice. Um, you a coffee drinker? Yep. I know the answer to this, but yeah. just for the audience, you're a coffee drinker? Yep. I'm only, I think you saw me have an afternoon coffee for the first time in a long time the other day because I was just running on fumes. Um, but normally I'd stop my coffees in the morning, yeah. yeah. What are your general thoughts and consensus around caffeine and Caffeine's dosing? Caffeine one of the best pre-workouts you can get. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's safe. Provided you're not like a anxious person and it triggers that those feelings yep. um, or keeps you awake. Um, it's safe. It, it's effective. It's brilliant. You know, it's it's ready to go in 40, in 40 minutes after you've taken it and that will keep you going through your workout. I'll, caffeine's going to give you some extra reps for sure. Do you have – because I'm one that can crash. Like I love a coffee, but I can crash in the mid-afternoon. Do you have any tips on how to mitigate a potential crash? Um, keeping your lunches actually a little bit smaller help with that crash because yep. that's that like 
postprandial fatigue. It's like when your stomach's working really hard to digest a big meal, it can cause that post-lunch crash. So, maybe, so is that like the food coma yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, that's why I fall asleep after Christmas dinner. <laughs> yeah. So maybe having a, a snack after your training, getting those fast carbs and protein in after training, and then that could you might not need such a heavy lunch then. Yeah. That can help. Um, a lot of people just crave sugar around that time. I'm like, grab some fruit then, have some sugar. Um, I In the summer, I have icy poles at three o'clock. They're my go-to. <laughs> I'm like, Brilliant. it's only a few calories. It tastes yummy. Zupa Dupa? Yeah, they're the Good. best. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Zupa Dupas. <laughs> hey, pre-training, I know you dabbled in it before. Uh, pre-training or footy match? What's an ideal sort of time window? Because I asked this question because it was a few weeks ago at footy. One of the seniors lads, it was about midday, so about two hours before he was meant to play, and he was tucking into a big pass, and all the boys were laughing at him, saying he's going to have full guts trying to run around and play footy. And then they asked me my opinion because I work in a gym, but I know I'm not a nutritionist, and I didn't really have much of an idea of what... How soon before the game? That was about two hours. Yeah, it was a bit too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's an ideal... Time window and amount of food and, I guess, breakdown of macronutrients yeah. prior to a game such as, such as footy? So, I'd like three or four hours before. So, if you've got an early game, I guess you're going to apply this to dinner. Um, but you want um, a good amount of fast carbs. So, again, those low-fibre um, carbs. So, heaps of pasta, heaps of rice um, and some protein in there as well. Not a huge amount. Um, just a single serve of protein. Is there a reason for that? Because it slows down the release of the energy from the fast carbs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we just want to keep, yeah, it's all carb orientated, like it's all fuel at the end of the day. Um, so three, four hours, you want that big meal, fast carbs, protein. And then uh, an hour, right up to 30 minutes before the game, more fast carbs, top up those stores. So, but not too much. Like I love, um, I've just, helped a team of footy boys recently and and I've just told them to go white bread and jam or honey like half an hour before the game and they were flying apparently so love that topping up the fast carbs yeah you are yeah you did spend some time with Balnaring Football Club Mm. doing some seminars with their teams um what did you find to be uh some of the key learnings that they may have taken away from your seminar um I think the most I I guess sorry what I'm trying to ask is like what were some of the big gaps in their knowledge? Uh, most of them were really shocked when I actually I actually took veggies and protein along and said this is actually how many vegetables you need to be eating. Brought a visual aid. Visual aid, and they were like, "Oh my god!" (laughs) Um, And the proteins, well, they didn't realize how much protein they actually needed, and I think especially in my generation. there was a lot of fear mongering, like you can't feed your kids a high protein diet, sugar is the devil, you yeah. know. Um, there was a, a little bit of work to do around that, like you know, you know, you need this much protein. You know, you growing lads going through puberty, you're playing high demanding sport, you need it, and this is how much you know. This is what it looks like, and they're like, well, <laughs> um, yeah, and. What else did I? Oh, yeah, and the sugar as well. You know, the parents are a little bit. When I said Gatorade's yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, if the, you know, half time, if you you need a top up of electrolytes, water, and glucose, what's wrong with Gatorade? That's it. And 
I guess what people don't realise is hydration isn't just water, is it? No. You need your electrolytes too, yeah. We've got like 10 minutes left. I'm keen to do some myth busting with you, yep. some debunking. Starting with that protein and sugar one that you just touched on before, do you want to expand on that a little bit? What were some of the fears that people had in the past in regards to high-protein, high-sugar diets? And do you want to just shoot them in the head for us? Yeah, so high-protein, it's going to damage your kidneys. Um, No, it's not. I've seen studies, you've had guys on huge amount, more protein you can imagine, and there's been no impairment to renal renal function at all. So, no, fine. Sugar? Sugar. Um, Look, worst case scenario, you might gain a little bit of unwanted weight or you might get some tooth decay. Short term, um, it's really not a problem. It's instant fuel, okay? Like if you're high demanding sports, Gatorade, sugar, super duper, it's fine. Um, It's just about using it appropriately, yeah. Long term effects though, we don't really want to gain huge amount of weight. And that's why I say use it appropriately. Uh, we've done the uh, anti-nutrients in vegetables. What about uh, in regards to nuts? Are there any myths and misconceptions around nuts? I haven't heard any. I just know that people go, nuts are really good for you, so they eat 10 fistfuls and wonder yeah. why they gain weight. <laughs> are nuts a good source of protein? Um. Per nuts, there's quite a lot of protein there, but yeah. you have to eat a lot of nuts to get yeah. a decent serve yeah. of protein in there. That's it. And that, that's sort of what I was trying to get at with that one. I like I hear a lot like nuts are a good source of protein, but in reality, you need to eat a ass load of nuts to yeah. Yeah. hit any sort of meaningful uh, protein. Yeah, and it's uh, like when people say, "But a, a gorilla is a vegetarian. <laughs> look, how, <laughs> look how muscly they are. They don't eat protein." I'm like, well, they do because there is protein in what they're eating. But have you seen how much a gorilla eats? Outrageous. If you want to eat that much to hit your protein requirements, go for it. (laughs) Are there any more myths and misconceptions that really drive you mental that you want to clear up? And again, I've put you on the spot so you can take 20 or so seconds to think. Carbs make you fat. Carbs don't make you fat. Too many calories can make you fat. Yeah. Literally. (laughs) Hey, what is one thing that you wish you could teach the world? And it doesn't have to be in regards to nutrition, just anything you could teach the world. Oh, that's huge. Um, We're going deep. Yeah. We're going deep in the last two minutes. Teach the world. Wow. Be grateful. Be kind. It's so cliche, but that's the, the message that we're always trying to drill home to our kids. So It's so simple. Yeah. And probably one theme that's been uh, prevalent throughout this podcast is it really is just simple, like nutrition, yeah. training. Yeah. Like there are no quick fixes. There are no uh, fads that are really efficable. It's all just simple. Yeah. Any more for any more? Any parting words of wisdom for the family? Uh Look, I do place a strong emphasis on stress um, yep. when people come to see me. And like I said, um, you know, if there's some issues around body image and so on, uh, touch on mental health, it's a huge part of nutrition. It really is because it is going to be so hard to execute any kind of plan if you're stressed, uh, not sleeping Absolutely, um, yeah. So that's such an important part of it. So I would just say to anyone if you're going to embark on um, 
any kind of eating plan, just make sure the foundations are fixed first. Yeah. What are some things you implement to help people reduce stress? Oh God, that's a deep dive. Isn't it ever? <laughs> I ask people what they're doing already. Is it working? Great. Let's do more of it. Um, if they're not doing anything, then we need to experiment. Yeah. So that could be meditation. Meditation's amazing. If it didn't work, it wouldn't still be here thousands of years later. Yeah. Um, but it takes practice. The benefits accumulate. The more you do it, the better you get. The more benefits you get. Um, meditation is cool. Um, some people, meditation looks like going for a walk or reading a book or listening to music. Yeah. Whatever takes you away from that chatter in your mind um brown noise have you heard of brown noise i sleep with brown noise every single night yep yeah brown noise is cool um and then there's other therapies as well um like breath work i've started to get into that recently awesome that's a deep dive it's a deep dive it's like therapy without having to talk because it's cool and um cold dips hot cold exposure therapies the list is endless lovely Love that. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you. It's been fun. Um, next week, could not tell you, I think I might sit down with Mr. Lachlan Wallace again because you guys just don't hear enough of our voices. But we'll play that one by ear. It's been an absolute pleasure having a lo- having you Thank on, Claire. You. It's been I good hope fun. the audience got a few nuggets of information <laughs> from that one. We busted a few myths and a few misconceptions. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Thank you.